Hi there, my name is Ben Eaton, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to a broad range of musicians, artists, songwriters about their experience in the music industry. We'll be talking about their dreams, their background, their career highlights, and a range of other topics relating to making a living inside this tough cutthroat industry. We'll also be discussing the current COVID-19 crisis and how it affects their income, their goals, their dreams, and what they think might happen next to them and the industry they love. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Performing Musicians Podcast. Um, today, I'm excited to talk to the uh, incredibly talented Holly Rogers, who is a singer-songwriter who originally comes from Cornwall. Hi, Holly. How are you? Hi, Ben. I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm okay. As I just said, I just got back from the gym, so I'm a bit unpleasantly greasy. Um, Sorry, I can't tell from here. <laughs> Lucky you. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about yourself? What do you do and how long have you been doing it? Uh, well, for about nine months, I've been doing precisely nothing, but that's the same <laughs> as everybody. <laughs> Before that, I was a musician. Um, yeah, I uh, am a, a singer-songwriter, play guitar, um, kind of Americana, folk sort of style. Um, and I've been doing that since I was a bit, about 16. Um, I was quite late to the party, actually. I didn't pick up a guitar till I was 16 um, and with no real intention of actually learning how to play it. I just wanted to look cool and impress boys. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, then started writing songs after that and I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. And you mentioned you're from Cornwall originally. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Cornwall. It's where my, my family are all still there. So I've, I'm still down there quite a lot in normal times um, and moved from there when I was about 18 to go to university um, and I now live in London but um, but yeah Penzance in Cornwall is where I'm from. Oh beautiful. Yeah it is but, it's lovely down there I'm lucky to be able to go back down whenever I want really. So do you speak any Cornish? <laughs> no I don't um, but to be fair nobody does I think there's only about five people who can still speak it it's not like yeah. Welsh um, although I did one of the things I, I did over lockdown was um i've got a song called the coast road which is about a road that runs from penzance to st ives um and i decided to see if i could find someone who would help me translate the lyrics into cornish um and it turns out that cornwall council run a translation service and um and they were able to help me do that so now i've got a cornish verse and i've no idea what i'm saying they, they could be talking complete nonsense i could be talking about pasties or something but Apparently, it's what my original lyrics were. Um, so Amazing. that's quite fun. Yeah. So they, just, they wrote it out for you phonetically, did they? Yeah, well, they, no, they wrote it out and then they sent me a little audio recording, actually, of how to say oh. it. So I just kind of learned it by ear. And as I say, I've, I've, I've no idea whether it means what they say it means, but hopefully. <laughs> wow. That's like when I got married. My wife is Dutch and my Dutch, and my Dutch is not great now, but at the time it was terrible. So my mother-in-law yeah. actually helped me write the vows out phonetically oh, in sweet. Dutch. So oh, lovely. If she, was, if, she, if, she, if she was more of a Machiavellian character, she could have made me say some pretty horrible things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it seemed, it seemed to have the desired effect. We're still married 16, 15 years later or something. Oh, that's um, not bad going, is it? <laughs> eh, it's all right, you know. Um, so 
you say you, you you sort of picked up your guitar late as such at 16. Yeah. What, do you remember outside of the uh, the obvious impressing the boys, um, <laughs> what, uh, what was the spark for that? Do you remember what it was? But genuinely, that is all it was. I, I just thought girls with the guitars look really cool and wow. and that it would make me more popular. It was not I wish I could say it was some kind of deep rooted desire to um to be <laughs> creative or something, but at that time it, it just wasn't. But I mean it very quickly turned into that, to be fair. But it was about it was a good three or four weeks that I was going into the uh the music room at school and picking up this guitar and trying to trying to work from a chord chord book to, to learn some chords. And I was finding it really, really difficult. And it, it was three or four weeks later that somebody pointed out that it was a bass guitar that I was playing. Oh, <laughs> my God. Not a guitar. And I had no idea. I didn't know what the difference was. And that's why I was struggling to, um, to interpret these chord charts and make it work on this, this bass that I was holding. Oh so anyway, Lord. quickly switched to a, to a regular guitar. And, uh, and then I had some lessons um, shortly after that and just, just really took to it and loved it couldn't put it down and haven't put it down since really and who who would you say were some of your early influences um to begin with probably the earliest influence would be damien rice and that album of his oh um with cannonball on it yeah that's the one yeah amazing Um, yeah i i that still is probably my my number one album i think and it's just uh it was such a huge influence on my songwriting and also my guitar style, like I, I still, I play with sometimes finger-picked and sometimes kind of more percussive and that that all really came from watching what he does. I mean, he's quite clever and he has a uh, plectrum that he holds in between his thumb and his finger that he switches out from time to time. I don't do that. I just use my finger, which means that it's all busted and bleeding a lot of the time. But that's nice. rock and roll, isn't it? That is rock and roll. <laughs> if, there's no, yeah. if, there's, if there's no blood, you're not really playing. Right, Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Damien Rice, I came to him late, actually. It's it, it mm. sort of, I didn't really, because I was in Australia, so you, he wasn't really big in Australia. Ah, uh, of course. wasn't really known, but that album, I actually saw him on breakfast television. Oh, really? <laughs> but I think he was playing The Blower's Daughter or something on, on yeah. breakfast television. <laughs> Cheery. It was, it was genius. And he had the, the, the lady with him who plays the cello. Yeah, yeah, Vivian Long, she's called. Oh, and it was, I saw it and I was just like, who is this? Just immediately <laughs> went and checked out everything he's done. Just incredible. Yeah. And the thing I like about him is he he really does practice emotion over execution. So for, sure. for him, it, 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 you know, as someone who's, I've been a musician for 32 years. So, you know, mm. you, you hear someone, and you hear someone that with really great technique or vocal technique and things like that, and it's really impressive. But even on his recordings, like on that album, he, yeah. he sings bum notes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Voice breaks in funny spots, and you're yeah. like, you know, that's so brave. Mm, yeah, because I would be like, oh, I've got to do a, I've got to retake that as, you know, but it's all about, as you say, the emotion and the, and the moment for him. Yeah. Um, and he, I think even at his live shows, like, I think it really annoys people a lot of the time when, I mean, he doesn't play live so much anymore, but when he was touring a lot 10 years ago, I used to go see him quite often. Sometimes you'd get uh, cheerful Damien where he'd be really chatty, cracking jokes, whatever. Sometimes he wouldn't say a word, not even thank you. And I know that used to really irritate some people. And I just really, I just think that is as authentic as you can get. Like it was annoying, but he, he doesn't care. 
Like, yeah, sort of in, in the model of like Bob Dylan or someone like that. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes you get the, the Bob Dylan that's going to play the hits. Yeah. Sometimes you get the Bob Dylan that's going to play like an obscure 50s artist, just his right. songs for like a whole show. <laughs> exactly. And you never know what you're going to get. And I, I used to like that. It kept it, uh, kept it interesting. Uh, that's awesome. Given the amount of times I used to go and see it, you know. That's awesome. And so how long did you, how long were you sort of bashing away at it before you sort of decided that this was going to be the thing for you? Well, um, I think it wasn't very long, probably six months or so. And my mum suggested that, um, I think it was for Christmas, she got me some studio time um, at a studio down the road in Penzance. And um, wow. I just did, I thought, I thought I could get two hours and, and do 10 songs, you know, <laughs> what you think when you're, when you're just starting out. Think, oh, well, their songs are three minutes each and, you know, two hours would be enough to do 10 songs. Anyway, I did about three songs. Um, That's still and pretty that was good. Just, yeah, it was not bad going, huh? Um, but yeah, that was, I was still 16 then. So, and I ended up making a little EP. I went back in and did a couple more songs. And, um, and I think, yeah, from then I, I knew that this was something I wasn't, it wasn't just a hobby, you know? Um, and I kind of dipped in and out of it over, you know, during university I was doing a lot of it, but then I went to a teaching job after that and it, it you know, had to take a back seat just because I didn't have the time for it, but it was always still there. Um, mm. And, and then eventually I quit my teaching job and went back into it full time. So it's never, it's never gone away, but it's just, um, it's had to take a back seat sometimes for, yeah. you know, boring grown up stuff. <laughs> Life gets in the way. Yeah. And so when did you move to uh, the big bad London town? Um, I actually only moved here about two years ago um, when I quit my teaching job. So I, I've moved around quite a lot. I went to university in Exeter and then I did a, a teacher training in York. And then I moved just south of London to like the Sussex-Surrey border where I taught for five years. And then when I quit my teaching job, the, the aim was to do more music. And I kind of felt a pull to be in London where stuff was happening and, you know, go and network and meet people. So, yeah, it was about two years ago, 20, 2018, something like that. I think we did a gig together. Just uh, You must have only have just moved here. We did the round yeah. show. Yeah, it was uh, three of us, wasn't it? And yeah. uh, like a songwriter circle type thing. Yeah, it was really and, uh, fun. Yeah, that must have been that must have been just as I'd just as I'd moved, or maybe even just before I'd moved. So yeah, because I remember back. talking to you about it, and you said, "I'm, um, you know, I, I think you mentioned you just moved or something, or you were playing right. it." And I was like, "Wow, that's that's amazing." Was I with a, a, a long haired ginger girl? Yes. I would have just moved because that was uh, that's my best friend Isley and she uh, she's been in London for the last 10 years so she kind of took me under her wing a bit and yeah. uh, held my hand where I went, when I went and explored <laughs> <laughs> and <that laughs> which I'd still show. have her do now if, uh, if, she'd, if she'd let me but <laughs> yeah if, if it was legal to touch other humans <laughs> yeah right that um, and so obviously from from what you said there um, about your mother buying you studio time that indicates mm. that your family are very supportive of this or yeah, hugely, hugely supportive. Not musical. Uh, like my mum, my I encourage her actively not to sing because most unpleasant. Um, <laughs> she's, she is not a singer, um, doesn't play any instruments or anything. My dad, I think, my dad can sing a bit, but he's, he's not, you know, he's never done that seriously. Just, you know, in, in the pub, a bit of Elvis karaoke or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't come from a particularly musical family, but they've always been massively supportive of it. Um, particularly my my nan um she used to sing in choirs and stuff so i think she sort of she gets it um and yeah i'm very lucky in that sense that nobody was saying oh don't don't pursue that it's a pipe dream or 
um, get a real job or whatever. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, so can you walk us through in, in the before times, before, mm. the, uh, before <laughs> the end of the world times, can you walk yeah. us through sort of the, the quote-unquote typical week in the life of Holly Rogers, sort of, you know, what would you, what would oh, you yeah. most, week to week, what would you sort of be doing? So um, recently I've been, well, since, since moving to London, I still teach a little bit um, as a supply teacher, um, usually one or two days a week. And that's usually back down in Sussex where I used to live. So it's a heck of a drive, but I go to a, a nice school with nice kids and, um, and that's, that's worth the drive to me. Um, and that kind of having the income from that kind of enables me to do what I do with the rest of my week, um, which sometimes is to sleep until 2 p.m. if I fancy. Lovely. Very nice. Lovely. Um, but, you know, just uh, gigging in the evenings or if, if it's a quiet time, then I'll be chasing gigs. Um, on, on email, trying to set up tours and uh, maybe social media, all of that kind of thing that's unfortunately really important when you're trying to build a music career. Mm. Staying connected with fans and, um, you know, I, I've tended to have lots of uh, midweek gigs in London. I found that that's more of a thing than it, than it was where I lived before. Um, and the weekend gigs tended to be further afield. Um, so my bass player and I, because he plays with me all the time, will often be driving off around the country at weekends to go and play some gig or other. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much a normal week before the end of the world. Yeah. Nice. And so the, so the style of gigs you're doing are mostly original shows. Are they showcase gigs? Are they, are you doing playing functions? What, what, what sort of makes up the, the broad base of your work? Very few functions. Um, occasionally I'll be asked to do a wedding or something, but not as like the, the party act. Uh, more to like sing somebody down the aisle or something like that, but th yeah. that's few and far between. Um, so it's much more, yeah, originals and um, more recently uh, showcase sorts of things for industry conferences and stuff like that. That's that's quite new for me. I did the um, AMA, the Americana Music Association showcase in January. That was kind of launched this year. That was super exciting, um, and. Uh, there was another one that I did, the English Folk Expo, back in October last year. So those are my first two industry showcases. Um, and I did have more in the diary, which obviously now are postponed. But, um, but yeah, so that's kind of, that feels like the next stage, you know, doing those sorts of gigs. But before that, it was like, you know, pubs and venues and wherever would have me, really. Yeah, nice. And so just just on that, you've you've got quite oh. a quite a distinctive voice and style where mm -hmm. where does that come from is that this this uh, this sort of this grounding in the americana sort of thing and this this when did you discover that you had this unique sort of idea about how to approach things i think i think it's well obviously you're always developing as an artist but probably in the last three years or so i really feel like i've kind of found my sound and before that it was always very much more an experiment to some degree. And I was much more unsure, less, less confident in my own ability or my own, um, my, my own sound. And, you know, I'd write something and think, I don't know if this is any good or not. And I, I should play it to a few people and make sure because, you know, maybe it's just a load of rubbish. Whereas now I feel like I've got a more, a clearer sense of when I've written something that's decent and when I've written something that I'm going to bin, you know, I, I feel yeah. more confident in my own ability to discern that. 
Um, And, you know, I always continue listening to people like Joan Armour Trading and Joni Mitchell and so on. And, and they continue to influence me, um, even though I'm so familiar with them and always have been. Of course. And so your, your vocal register is quite low. Mm-hmm. How have yes. you, how, how have you, which if, if you speak to you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think is a thing because you have sort of a uh-huh. normal speaking voice. So how did you discover that your register is quite low? Or is that something you've worked on? No, it's not at all something I've worked on. It's something that used to annoy me actually when I was at school because I used to, um, used to be in the school choir and stuff like that. You know, I wasn't taking it very seriously, but did it for a bit of fun. And, uh, and my best mate at the time had a very high voice. She was a soprano. And I always wanted to stand next to her in the choir. And I was never allowed because I was always put <laughs> down in the, the alto section or the altos, even yeah. with the boys, even lower. Um, and I used to try and pretend that I could sing the soprano bits to try and be <laughs> put next to my mate. And I would always be moved back down. Um, so it's, it's always just, it's been a natural thing. And I've um, kind of been aware of it since I started singing, to be honest. And I don't know where it comes from. I think my, my, my nan who sings has got quite a, quite a deep voice compared to your sort of average female vocal yeah, right. yeah yeah i found i found that quite striking when i heard you sing i was like wow that's that's and it's quite um i know it's not unusual but it's quite arresting because you use it in a really you use it in a, in a really true way it's not like oh thank you some people you know some people sing in a voice where you can sort of tell that they're sort of putting it on yeah a little bit you know the, the mm-hmm. affectations and all that sort of thing whereas when yeah. i heard you think i thought well that's that's a really cool sound oh thank you yeah that's all right um so what's, what would you say is your favourite style of venue to play? Oh, great question. Um, I think anywhere that's got decent sound, and by that I mean not just off stage for the audience but on stage as well, because there's nothing worse than when you, know, you can't hear yourself properly and even though it might sound all right out front, it, you know you're not playing as well as you normally would because you can't hear yourself. So, um, And somewhere that's not too big, not too small, um, I like playing to people that are seated, actually, like my style of music, you know, I think it suits itself more to some candles on tables and um, rather than, you know, a big standing crowd who can often be a bit more chatty. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's always a treat, isn't it, to get a room where you can hear a pin drop and everybody's properly listening and there's no background noise. That is, that's always the dream. Um, so, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe say a hundred people or something. Yeah, sat around tables in a in a space with lovely sound. Yeah, awesome. And what would you say is your least favourite style of venue to play? A pub yep. with loud men <laughs> 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 who are like not listening until you crack out the Oasis cover, and then they're like, "Whoa, yeah." yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. That's always a little bit soul destroying. But I never know why a pub would book me. You know, sometimes I get I get inquiries from. Uh, from pubs and they're like yeah we want to book you for a two-hour set or whatever and maybe they've heard one of my songs that happens to have drums on it and is quite upbeat which is not what i normally do and i'm thinking okay i'll take it because i need the money but i don't think it's going to go down well <laughs> yeah. with your lads 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 yeah but, yeah yeah uh, Pla- yeah we're, we're trying to watch the football yeah exactly exactly yeah um and do you know any rod stewart no oh, i don't god i don't um <laughs> So did you, do you enjoy like performing in London? What's sort of, what's, what's the best part about actually living and working and being in London as a performer? I think being so close to where stuff is going on, you know, being on a, on a tube and able to get into central in 20, 25 minutes is um, just psychologically, 
you feel like you're part of it rather than when I was living outside London, even though I was only in Surrey and I could get in on a train in an hour, 10 minutes, something like that. I just didn't feel a part of it. I felt like I was on the periphery. And um, I think it, ha it has really helped me to get into the headspace of this is what I do. This is, this is my job. This is my work. This is what I'm focusing on. Um, rather than this is a thing I do on the side, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think I've met so many people as well, comparatively, maybe it's because I've been really focusing on networking and stuff, but I, I've met lots and lots of other people who live in London and who are all doing the same thing and usually want to support each other. And that's really nice to have found a kind of network of like-minded people. Yeah. Lovely. It's funny, you know, the, the, everything's socially connected now, but in reality, the social media can only do so much. If mm. it is really the people that you chat to at the gig or someone that, yeah. you know, somebody hears you play said, Oh, I think you'd be suitable for this, you know? And you know, that's, that's, I think that's a difference between like, uh, digital connections and actual real connections, which I think is, sure. which is another thing that's really taken a hit during, um, the, you know, since March. Yeah. Big time. Um, so can you talk us through a career highlight, maybe one or two? And it doesn't have to be playing Wembley. Um, it can be playing That's Wembley. That's good because I haven't done that just yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, quite often people mention, you know, like this one gig where I made this this connection or I had this realisation. Just, you know, something that pops mm -hmm. out. Um, what, what sprung to mind immediately then was uh, a songwriting workshop that I went on, a, a songwriting retreat. Um, which would have been April last year, I think, was it? God, I don't know. Anyway, a year or so ago. Um, it was one of Chris Difford's songwriting retreats and um, was invited to go on it by the team under the apple tree. I don't know if you know them. They're, um, no. Bob Harris uh, has a, a company called Under the Apple Tree, which is run by his son and his wife and some other people. Um, he does these film sessions at his house, which I was invited to do. That in itself, itself is super exciting. And then um, off the back of that, they invited me to go on this Chris Difford songwriting retreat, which they are also heavily involved with. Um, and I very nearly didn't do it because it was really out of my comfort zone. I'd never done any co-writing before, ever. Um, and just thought, God, I'm spending a week in a, in a house miles away from home with strangers. And I just thought, nah, it's, it's too scary. And then decided to just kind of bite the bullet and, and give it a go but I didn't think it was going to be for me I didn't I, I just thought I would be nervous and awkward for the rest of it and it ended up being one of the best things I've done in my career really I, I met some lovely people um about 20 writers there and everybody from you know people at my level who nobody's heard of to like some really big names in the songwriting world and people who've won Grammys and you couldn't tell who was who because nobody had an ego everybody was really down to earth just wanted to support each other really um and i was thrown into a room one day i think it was the middle of the week on a on a wednesday with two guys um called jamie and robin um and i jamie looked a little familiar and then i realized that he was um jamie lawson who's signed to ed sheeran's label and wow a, a week a, a year earlier he'd been opening for ed at wembley stadium and stuff i was a little bit starstruck and then I'm chatting away to this Robin guy who's older than us. And um, I don't know who he is. I know he's a guitarist and I hadn't, hadn't got his surname. And he said to me, you know, who are your influences? And I 
talking away about how much I love Joni Mitchell and um, he let me talk about her for about 10-15 minutes and then he just kind of reclined in his chair with his coffee and he said uh, yeah I played with Joni from 75 to 79 she's a great gal like wow. oh shit who, who are you anyway his name's Robin Ford and he's played with everybody you can think of oh my god Robin Ford <laughs> right exactly. he's, one, he's one of my heroes there you go. So I'm sitting in a room with him and Jamie Lawson. And then Jamie's like, do you mind? He's played with Miles we, Davis. Uh... He was in Miles yeah, Davis's I know, band. I know, I know, I know. I had no idea. I had no idea. Oh my I God. Like, you, you don't get anybody's surnames. And I don't know what Robin Ford looks like. I mean, I'd heard of him, but I had no oh, idea what he looks man. like. You know, I've, so. I've, I've, I've met him once and I've been to one of his clinics and he's just, he's, yeah. he's one of, he's one, talk to your daughter. That album is one of my favorite <laughs> albums of all time. <laughs> well, there you go. Wow. So you can imagine how I felt sitting in this room, and it's not just a not just any room either. We're in a like a sort of mansion house type thing. With we're in the drawing room. That's what it was called, the drawing room. So like fancy sofas and a uh, big open fireplace and everything. It's just really, really surreal. Um, and then and then Jamie said, "Do you mind if we write a song for you today? Like with the intention of it being a song that you perform." As as your act, and I'm like, uh, yeah, that'd be fine, guys. No, Thanks. no, I'm not comfortable <laughs> with that. Please don't do that. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, then we wrote this song, and and in the evening we performed it. That was that was how the days were structured. You write in the in the daytimes, and then everyone performs for each other in the evening. Um, wrote a song that I really love, and it's going to go on my next album. And Jamie's going to co-produce it and sing on it, and I'm hoping that Robin's going to play guitar on it as well. So it uh, oh just God. definitely stands out as as proper pinch yourself career highlight you know that's amazing so when you do that session make sure you let me know so i can come and stalk robin forward because <laughs> i want to that, that's amazing that i love i love him i love him so much oh great great that's amazing yeah that's really cool okay um well after that really awesome story let's, <laughs> i've stunned uh, you with that one haven't i <laughs> yeah you have you floored me that's that's the yeah that's that's fantastic He's, well, i'm it, glad you can appreciate how i felt in that moment oh, when i realized I, who it was i would have literally shat in my pants that guy has <laughs> has played with some of the greatest musicians on the planet yeah and me Whee! <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um so let's let's get into the sort of the serious bit of the of the of the pod now yeah um, so now all the well basically most of the gigs have dried up um can you just talk mm. a little bit about your sort of journey as an artist since sort of all the, sh the shit hit the fan, as it were, in March? I mean, I'd be completely honest. For the first four or five months, well, I had a, had a month of being really productive and doing loads of stuff that I think, like everyone, that um, I've been meaning to do for ages and hadn't had time for or whatever. And then after that first month, which was sort of like a weird honeymoon of having this all this free time, I just I kind of felt really unmotivated and the opposite of that and like oh what's the point you know all my gigs are cancelled I had such an exciting year lined up I was supposed to be going to Nashville and had festivals and you know Glastonbury and Isle of Wight and all sorts of ones that I hadn't played before that were really exciting and you know crossing more and more of them off I was just getting more and more unmotivated and I just didn't really pick up my guitar for that whole time and didn't didn't do a lot. I mean, I sat outside in the sun, and uh, occasionally went into school as a key worker to look after the key worker children, and that was really it. And it took, yeah, four or five months to kind of pull myself out of that. Really, um, I did a virtual 
songwriting retreat, which probably kick-started me back into kind of music mode. Um, wrote a song on that that I thought maybe is a keeper um, that I'm, I might use. Um, and then, you know, I just had a really stern conversation with myself where I was like, you know, this is an opportunity. You have to see this as an opportunity to kind of use all of this free time and think about things differently and make the most of it rather than just sitting and doing nothing because the people that sit and do nothing aren't going to get anywhere you know um so now i've kind of replanned my i had a bit of a strategic plan for the next three years and i've reworked that um with with all of this in mind it's hard to plan obviously when you don't know how things are going to go but i've sort of done my best with that and i'm now finally going to launch the the crowdfunding uh pitch that i was going to do back in july uh to make a new album i thought oh, i can't do it now because i can't gig and i can't promote it but actually nobody can gig and nobody can promote anything in the way that they normally could and people are up for supporting crowdfunding pitches i think um you know my fan base have certainly intimated that they would be just as interested in supporting it now than at a time when i'm gigging and all the rest of it so i'm going to go for that and um hopefully make an al a new album next year if that all goes well so i'm feeling much more positive and motivated and like i've kind of got a grip on it now but um, that's awesome is that through patreon or uh no i'm gonna do a kickstarter because i did that yeah. last time um uh, for my ep i used kickstarter and that i found was really easy to use they were quite supportive and it, it all went well and i made the ep so that's awesome um so did you have, when, when it all sort of happened, like you mentioned that you sort of unplugged, did, mm. did you have a place to be creative or did you have to sort of, because a lot of people, you know, they jam at people's houses or they go to, mm. a, you know, a, a practice studio to practice. Did you have a place where you could be creative or did you have to set something up? To be honest, I'm, I usually, if I'm being creative, I'm at home. Um, it tends to be like the middle of the night and so I'll be in my bedroom. Um, so yes, I had space to be, but at the same time, um, I live in a house share just with one other person, but we both, uh, he, we used to be like ships in the night. So there was plenty of time where I'd be on my own in the house. Um, and suddenly it was like me and my partner who was working from home and him and his partner. So quite a lot of us in the house all at the same time, kind of needing workspace. And so it did feel a little bit crowded and like it was harder, you know, if inspiration struck to just go and find a quiet space. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, 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 there wasn't a lot of inspiration there for me anyway. I, I didn't find myself having those moments where I thought, oh, I really need to write. And, um, and that kind of spiraled downwards for a long time. And um, I didn't, didn't feel like I wanted to anyway. So, and actually, you know, there was, there was a lot, you know, it sounds quite negative, but there was, there was a lot that was nice about um, being in the house with those guys and, we cooked dinners together and played board games and stuff. There was a lot of positives in it, but you know, in terms of my career and creatively, it, it was not, not good for those first four or five. Yeah, I know. I found myself, you know, it was, it was like the first few weeks you're sort of freaking out, but then we actually, cause I have children and well, I have a wife mm -hmm. and we, I spent I was, all of a sudden was spending Friday and Saturday nights and Sunday nights at home. Yeah. And yeah. It was, you know, I, I quite like it now not going out every Friday night. Like, yeah, you know, and yeah, actually yeah. watching a movie and eating tacos and having mm -hmm. crisps and, you know. It's nice, isn't it? It's lovely. And to be fair, like, 
my children have never really had me around on a Friday mm. or Saturday night pretty much their whole lives. Yeah. So it's been, yeah. It, it was a really, it was a good, it was a good adjustment actually. I, yeah. I, you know, How old are I'm, your kids? Well, the oldest one's 14, the youngest one's nine. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Great. It's, uh, it's, they're, they're, they're great. They're challenging, but they're great. <laughs> Aren't they all? <laughs> um, and so with that, with that whole sort of change of dynamic, did you find yourself, um, were, you, were you doing any streaming at all? Or you said you pretty much- begin with, Yeah, to, to begin with, I did a couple of those um, isolation festivals or whatever they were called. You know, there are a few of those doing the rounds and I did a few of those and quite enjoyed them. Um, and then, but I don't, I don't have a brilliant sound setup at home. I don't have, um, I tried to order some stuff on Amazon to let me use my phone and uh, connect my microphones and stuff, but I couldn't, couldn't get to grips with it, couldn't make it work. And so quite quickly switched off from the live streaming thing. Um, and so, no, I haven't, I haven't done any since the, since the beginning. I sort of am intending to do another one, but I've been saying that for about three months. So (laughs) (laughs) whether it'll actually happen or not, I don't know. Um, And how's your, how's your interaction with social media? I'm um, all right with uh, with Facebook. Um, I kind of Facebook launched when I was at university, and so I know it really well. I get it. I know how it works. And Instagram came later, and so I have fewer followers on there, and I'm less good at making it work for me. You know, so it feels much more like a chore when I have to put stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't tweet much, but over the over the lockdown period, I didn't have a lot to say. So I found I was not really engaging with social media as much because I was like, well, I don't, I don't have any news to report. So what, what would I say? And so there was, you know, relatively far fewer posts from me. And I then found that once I got back into it, I think, I don't know whether Facebook's algorithms have changed or quite what they've done, but my reach is much lower now than it was yeah. before the lockdown. And I think yeah. I've got to build that back up. And um, it, um, as I said before, it's, it's a, really important part of building a career and keeping connected with your fan base whether you like it or not and i would say i probably don't like it very much having to having to do it but um but i recognize that it's important so i you know i i do try and post now as much as i can when i've got something exciting happening well i know um i mean i remember i remember when facebook was a really good tool for connecting with fans because you were Mm. able to actually have connections from your band page without having to pay for them so much. Right. And yes. I think I think Facebook being Facebook has really used the epidemic to really turn the screws on artists as well. Yes, I, think, I agree. I think personally, I mean I, I mean Facebook is great and I love social media, but it's also it's destructive. And I think mm. especially for independent artists, like people, I was, I was watching a panel show recently and people were saying, oh, you know, you should, you know, you should unplug from social media and all that sort of stuff and you should, you know, just turn it off and walk away from it. And this girl had this great point. She said, well, that's fine, but most independent artists rely on social media because there's no yeah. other way for them to get their products out because record companies basically aren't a thing anymore. No. You, you don't have support from record companies. You don't have the gatekeepers that you used to have. So basically, mm. unless you're a massive artist, if you're an yeah. independent singer-songwriter, you're someone who's building a fan base, even if you're someone who's been around for a while, 
without social media now, there is no way to get your music. And that includes like YouTube, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. all these all these services. You really can't. And I mean, I, I count Spotify on that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to, I mean, if you're applying for something, whether it's a, a competition entry or funding entry or something, they ask for your social. And if you don't have anything to put in that box, I mean, very often you actually can't proceed. Like, it's like you must fill in this box in order to go to the next page. And it's, it's like a given. It's not really an option not yeah. to have it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm always surprised when I hear somebody on Six Music or something, because I listen to Six Music a lot. And then uh, look them up and, and occasionally find that they don't have a social page. I'm thinking, how the hell did you get played on Six Music without having any social channels? Like, who do you know or who are you scoring? Um, <laughs> I mean, there are, way- there are ways, but it's, it's very much an anomaly. If, if yeah. you don't have a strong media presence, then you, you just can't cut through. You know, it, it, yeah. used, it used to be you'd get, you know, quote unquote, discovered. And yes. then the record company would spend a disproportionate amount of money on you, and then you would yeah. then be presented as a thing, a package. Yeah. yeah. Now you do that yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I remember, uh, when I was at university, and YouTube was new, so we're going back probably, I don't know, thirteen years, something like that. Yeah. And I just discovered this YouTube thing, and I used to put up videos of myself just doing covers. Recorded on my laptop, which had a really noisy fan. I mean, the sound was absolutely dreadful. Um, I would cut my face out of the um, shot because I didn't like being seen on camera. So it was really terrible quality videos. And um, I'd be, you know, just doing covers of like Martha Wainwright or whoever whoever I was listening to at the time. And these things would get like, some of them had 80,000 plus views. And at the time, I, I didn't really think anything of that. I, I honestly didn't pay any attention at all. Now, if I put something up and it got 80,000 views, I'd be bloody delighted. Like, yeah, I'd be absolutely. like, hey, this is great. Uh, but it was because there were so, like, hardly anybody putting content up onto YouTube then. So, obviously, it was much easier to find. If someone searched Martha Wainwright, they can find my video and give it a little watch. Um, and, and now it's so much harder to cut through that, I think, because everybody's on YouTube. So, it's, it's like a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, it's, it's a great tool, but it's also really destructive as you say well yeah i mean you know I mean, it, it, it's it's a necessary evil unfortunately i think yeah, i just wish is. they would they would do more to regulate it I, yeah I, I i'm personally of a mind that facebook should be broken up i don't think it's uh-huh. in, in its monolithic form it, you can't you can't own the market and then supply and supply the product right that's yeah not, exactly that's not how capitalism works i mean i'm not <laughs> no, no. i'm not really a you know i I don't mind capitalism as long as it's regulated. Yeah. And if yeah, you have yeah, yeah. a market, you can't also supply the things on that market. Yeah. Same as with Amazon. So they go like, oh, your post reached 300 people. Pay us 15 pounds and you could reach up to 6,000. You're like, oh, I don't want to pay you 50. I haven't got 15 pounds to do this every time I post. No, thank you. But that's exactly right. And it's insidious. And that, as we said before, like before the lockdown, it was, I mean, I've watched it get worse and worse and worse where basically yeah. unless – you know, unless you've got a mammoth following and or mm. you've got or you've got like a lot of people pushing you, yeah. the cut through has gone smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's an intentional thing. I'm glad it's, it's not just me that's noticed that. Like <laughs> by, have I done am I you know, it's just nobody cares about what I'm doing anymore. No, but no, I, I think it's, it's a thing, it's, isn't it? It's definitely a thing because they've seen that now that everybody's online even more mm. because of the, the virus, 
that mm-hmm. people have a thirst for interacting with art and music and and joy and yeah if and the, the insidious thing about those people that are writing the algorithms is they know that and mm-hmm. they they make it harder for you so that unless you've got a magic massive budget it's really you can do it there are ways to game it but you have to be really really you ha- it takes so much time mm-hmm. and you know yeah. that's I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's the age-old argument, isn't it? You know, you're an artist. You're supposed to be creating art, but you spend most of your time marketing mm. yourself. Mm. And then, yeah. you know, in, in when when you had record companies, they had a budget to market you. Now, well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have something to put in, haven't you? Which most of us haven't got. Well, that's exactly right. And you know, when when there's no gigs, it's hard to generate money. Yeah, of course. Oh, but the yeah. government's going to give us twenty percent of what we're making, so that that'll sort us well, right hey. up. Hey, time to buy that second BMW. Um, so I uh, did the I did the job quiz, you know the uh, the oh, retrain thing, God, and God. Uh, let me tell you what it said. Hang on, <laughs> God, it is so funny. <laughs> most of my friends were told to train as what they already are, like yeah. be an actor or a musician. Yeah, I, uh, this is what mine said. Bear with me. Uh, okay, your results. What you told us. Your answers show that you are motivated. Set yourself personal goals and are comfortable competing with other people. You're a creative person and enjoy coming up with new ways of doing things. You are sociable and find it easy to understand people. Okay, here we go. Because of your answers, we could not recommend any job categories. You might what? want to go through the assessment again and check your responses were correct. So I'm like, okay, great. So there's literally no job I can do. Thank you very much. Are you going to pay my bills for me? <laughs> but I mean, if you if you gave that personality description, like what you just described as a person, yeah, motivated, interested, um, empathetic, capable, you're not suitable for the workforce. It's like <laughs> what? Stupid. What? What? Does it make any sense? Like you should, you know, at least like that to me says like if you were thinking just on those personality traits, you'd be thinking like salesperson, yeah. um, like a politician, even. You right. know, someone, all someone sorts of things, right? Oh man, it's incredible. I, I didn't even yeah. bother. I mean, I, I had a, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was an electrician in a former life, so I've had a real, ah. you know, I've had a real job, and it's, yeah, you know, it's not for everyone. Um, no, well, it wasn't for me. Not that yeah. I was electrician, an electrician as a teacher, but. <laughs> well, I've, I've worked, I've worked in a mine underground, so you know, I've. Oh geez. I've worked down. Oh no, to, I wouldn't like that. Down to mine. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just on that real quickly, do you have any opinions ab- about the way the government has handled the, the conditions? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, at the beginning, I kind of thought they were doing an all right job like because the message seemed to be clear. There was, you know, this is what's allowed. This is what isn't. This is what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, there was the furlough scheme, which I thought was really good. Not that that impacted me, but there was the self-employment grant, which, you know, wasn't amazing, but it was it was money when I wasn't working, and I was very grateful for that. Um, now, <laughs> where we are now, and and this was not unforeseen either. Like this, the experts said there's going to be a second wave probably in October, six, November, six months whatever. peak to peak, six months peak to peak. That's what they said, and yet here we are. With them dilly dallying about like it's like oh it's, we didn't we didn't predict this was going to happen we we couldn't have known um, and who knows what the rules are really I mean we should all be I think totally clear on what's allowed and what isn't allowed and 
nobody is no, everybody's confused like we're now in tier two in london i don't know whether that means i can go to somebody's house who's in tier one i don't think i can but i'm not positive um there was a time i was i was i had been in a studio with somebody who later tested positive uh i'd been in a vocal booth and uh they were on the other side of it and the nhs 111 service couldn't tell me whether i was supposed to isolate or not eventually they did but it it was ages before they could tell me um my, my brother had it having seen my my parents a couple of weeks earlier and they couldn't get any advice on whether or not they were supposed to isolate or not and it just feels completely shambolic um and so i you know <laughs> my opinion is that it's not being handled well at all um because yeah. nobody seems to know what the hell is going on well, I mean, they just had the, I mean, I was watching a thing this morning, they talk about Manchester, where they just offered Manchester, you know, a fraction of the money that they will need to get through. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it's specifically because he's a Labour mayor mm -hmm. and they don't want to give money to people that aren't supporting them. And I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. you know, they are politicians and I understand that politicians have to be politicians, but. Yeah, but they have the to end, be humans as well, I think. See, I don't I think don't, there's any excuse I'd, for not being human. I was I was very surprised, and I think I think the Tories have done a very good job of convincing us with that early reaction that they were actually living human beings and not reptiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I, what I thought. I was surprised. I thought, yeah. oh, well, okay. I was this shocked actually. Ha having having come from Australia, where our conservatives make your conservatives look like left wing hippies, I was <laughs> I was very surprised when the Tories gave out that money. I thought there's mm. no way they're going to give any money to self employed people. Yeah. There's no yeah. way. And they did. And I was shocked. I was very pleased, very pleased, very shocked. Yeah. So I gave them full credit for that. Yeah. Now they, as you see, they're sort of, it's almost like they're doing a soft thing where they go, right, we're just going to, we're just going to push everyone back and we're just mm. going to see how many of you die. Right. And, and then we'll deal with that. Maybe we've got four years to sort it out because the next election's not for four years and people are inherently, you know, that people don't inherently care about things that happened four years ago. So if the virus, if we get through the virus and not, you know, not that, not, not more than 150,000 people die, people probably forgive us if we give them another tax cut. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and people do forget. People do, uh, you know, I mean, like the um, Dominic Cummings thing and uh, oh. him not getting fired. Was it speaking, speaking of lizard creatures. <laughs> yeah, uh, what an outrage that was! But you know, now it's all faded into the background, and he's carrying on and doing his job. And it, they just had to kind of ride it out for a bit, and then you know, because ultimately we don't have any power that like they can do what they want. Well, we do. I think we do have power, but I think what's happened in the world over the last sort of twenty to forty years is the people that sort of run the show. The governments have been very effective at disenfranchising people into small yeah. boxes where they don't actually feel like they have any agency. And that, yeah. you know, that wasn't always the case. Mm. You know, if, if you look at sort of, I mean, if, yeah, not to get too in the weeds, but if you look at sort of Thatcher here, she, her project was to destroy the unions and she yeah. did it very effectively yeah. to the point where now, you know, union, union participation in most first world countries is at a record low. And that's that's part of the reason why there's no there's no solidarity. 
amongst yeah. amongst yeah. the what what's the what's the term the proletariat the just comic co communist manifesto here but you know I'm, I'm not particularly a communist but i'm definitely a socialist in the fact that i think yeah. that you know you can't you can't make a moral judgment about a person based on their wealth no <laughs> yeah and that's absolutely. kind of that's absolutely. kind of where we're at in the world if you are rich you are morally good if you are poor there's something wrong with you yeah 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 and they've yeah. you know the the neoliberal machine has been very effective in in convincing us that unless you're working in a in a in a major firm there's you're obviously a bit lazy and you're a bit yeah. shit and why yeah, don't you just yeah. get a better job you're a yeah. bit shit and i <laughs> i think that's just inherently bad for the world mm -hmm. no i completely agree anyway completely agree. So now you've listened to me speak for 15 minutes um <laughs> how how what's your thoughts on how this will affect um music going forward honestly i i don't know but i it's very worrying um not not least for the the artists that aren't going to be able to carry on being artists because they can't sustain themselves but you know the, for the venues that simply aren't going to be there anymore because they will have to close you know I, you know one day one day it will build back up to what it was but i think that's a long way off in the future i think there's going to be a lot of damage that we have to mend and that's going to take a very long time um so you know i, I think i said to you earlier that i'm feel very fortunate to have had some teaching work during this time that has meant i've been able to stay afloat but if i hadn't had that like a lot of my friends um i i don't know where i'd be i possibly would have had to move back in with my mum in Cornwall, I guess, because, uh, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't have been able to pay the bills. So, yeah. um, and, you know, there's going to there's be plenty of people in that position and there's not going to be the venues that there were and it's not like we were high earners anyway. Um, and that was when people could afford to pay us and, you know, are they going to be able to do that when things return to normal? A lot of places won't be able to. So, uh, as I say, I feel very fortunate and I think that when things do return to normal, I will still be a full-time musician, but um, I know lots of people who won't. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I, I personally, just from an Antipodean point of view, I know three musicians that are moving back to Australia. Right, yeah. Because they can't survive. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's, you know, and a couple of, well, one specifically quite a quite a you know on a person on the way up as such yeah and yeah there's, a, there's another oh. couple of people that are just li literally some of the best musicians around and mm. they just can't pay the bills that's what? it yeah doesn't you know they've dedicated their whole life to a craft that is now is a uh we, we you know is now looked at as a as a luxury and we have to retrain yes <laughs> fatima's next job could be in cyber uh, could be freaking burning down the westminster um so any any positive things you can see coming out of this as an individual i've found lots of positives that have come out of it and uh, you know like being forced to live with my partner for example and that could have uh -huh. gone terribly but it went uh -huh. really well oh great and, uh, so you know on, on that on that side of things things are great and um you know i've I've taken up running and I am the least likely person in the entire world to have done that. Honestly, it would only take a global pandemic to get me off my ass. Um, <laughs> and so I've, I've really enjoyed kind of 
feeling healthier and um, having the time to do that. That's been great. Um, on a, you know, in a wider sense, I don't know. I don't know because, you know, there's a lot of talk of people saying, oh, we'll learn from this and, and people will behave differently. And I, I don't think they will. I think we will very quickly slip back into our old ways. But, you know, so whether the world will be a different place uh, in terms of, you know, positives, I don't know. I, I'm going to just wait and see on that one. Um, yeah. But I certainly think that for individuals, that there, there have been positives for a lot of people to have come out of this um, amidst all the, the horror of it all. Well, I guess in the middle of an pandemic, you sort of take what you can get really, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Make, make the best of it, stiff upper lip and all that sort of thing. Yep. Yep. So we're going to finish off with the, uh, with the speed round. Okay, fun. So I've just got some, uh, like half a dozen questions or so, just mainly sort of musical based. So okay. just, you don't, it doesn't need to be full on. Um, so these are, uh, what, who's your favorite artist right now? Oh, um, Laura Marling. Excellent. I love her. Excellent. I love her. I mean, I really love her. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I watch her, I'm just like, I love you. I just love you. Great answer. Um, what's your favorite song right now? Joan Armour Trading. And I can't remember the title of it, but I've been listening to it on loop. It's one of her later ones. Wait, can I look it up? Yeah, go for it. I was just listening to it. Uh, it's one I actually hadn't heard before, and I love Joan. But, um, sorry, you can cut all this nonsense out make it sound like it is actually a speed round clearly isn't <laughs> because i'm taking sweet time that's all right uh, oh yeah that's it it's called i like it when we're together and it's like from it. a, a 2018 album um and i hadn't i actually hadn't heard it i didn't realize it had been released and so that is definitely my favorite song of the moment and also you know what i was saying to you earlier about living with my partner and uh Liking it when we're together kind of feels appropriate. Serendipitous, nice. Yeah. And what was the last song you listened to? It was that one. That I one. like it when we're together. Yeah, just Good. just before you called, I was Lovely. listening to that. Yeah. And what was the last album you listened to from start to finish? That was "Song for Our Daughter" by Laura Marling. Uh, it came out in April, and I've listened to it from start to finish several times, and it's absolutely brilliant. Have you listened? I have not. Oh, you must. You must. Okay, I will. I must. <laughs> um, um what song do you wish you had written oh god so many um there's a lovely johnny flynn song i don't know if you know johnny flynn no um he's he, i think he's gone into acting now but um he was a full-time musician uh, he has a song called throat in the writ um he's off his first album and it's just every time i play it every time i cover it i think god i wish i'd written this um I feel like it was written for me to sing. <laughs> yeah. But I do it quite differently to him. But um, just one of those songs where the lyrics are where he said exactly what I'm thinking. And, yeah. uh, and the guitar style is exactly as I would have played it. And I just didn't think of it. He did. Bastard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, who's a, who's a favorite guilty pleasure artist that some other people might think is a bit, uh, is a bit naff. <laughs> oh God, I've got so many, Ben. I've got so many. Um, so I went to Wembley Stadium last year um, to watch the Spice Girls, and it was probably one of the highlights of my existence. Oh my I never gosh. saw them as a kid, That's but um, I finally got to see them 
I mean, it was terrible, but it was wonderful. <laughs> I just absolutely loved every minute. I went on my own as well, just oh to be my clear. Gosh. But I bonded with some some mums who were next to me, and uh, like three three women in their fifties to my right, and uh, this chap to my left who was just wonderfully fabulous and knew every word like I did probably about the same age as me and the five of us just had the best time so let's go with the Spice Girls shall we that's awesome <laughs> and our final question what uh, if you could wave a magic wand and, and grant mm. yourself any other skill outside of music what would it be mm, that's a great question hmm. I think I'd quite like to be a footballer but like on the men's team <laughs> <laughs> so as like you are if, now as a, on a men's football team yeah exactly because i can do some keepy uppies which is not bad for a girl yeah. and it put me in a game situation i'm hopeless because i can't look ahead and at the ball at the same time so i either lose the ball or i run in the wrong direction i tend to get on better with men than with women generally like most right. of my friends are uh guys so i'd rather be on the men's team um and also, they earn a lot of money, don't they? So I'd be oh, really, they do. They do. I could do all sorts of things with that kind of money. Um, so I think I think that'd be a real laugh. And also, I could entertain them in the locker rooms. I mean, musically, just before <laughs> before we go in the wrong direction with this conversation. Oh lord! <laughs> We'd probably have to have separate changing rooms, wouldn't we? I would say so. Yeah, I think that's probably best. So I'd play my guitar for them at the pub or something after the game. Nice one. That's 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 an excellent answer. Um, well, thanks very much, Holly. How, how can people find you? you? You mentioned Facebook. Yeah, so across all socials, it's um, at Holly Rogers Music, apart from Twitter, which I don't really use. So, I mean, just don't bother really, but it's at Holly R Music on there. Um, Holly is with an IE yeah. and Rogers is without a D. Otherwise, you'll get Holly with a Y and Holly with a D, and she is an internet sensation, but she, she doesn't do music because other things on the internet you might be interested to check her out but you know uh, private we, we, time okay private time. okay yeah ben's personal time exactly yes holly <laughs> with a y so uh yeah at holly rogers music and um holly rogers.com as well awesome okay well it's been a real pleasure to chat to you today holly and uh hopefully i'll get to see you on a stage soon yeah yeah in in normal times when, yeah. whenever we return to normal that would be lovely that would be great been great thank you ben all right, mate. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to head over to the PayPal link attached to the description in the show notes and throw us a couple of pounds. You can also head over to my website, www.beneatonmusic.com and check out all the stuff that I do. I'd love for you to leave a comment or get back to me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, all under the name Ben Eaton Music. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.